Okay, so real quickly, if this is your first time listening to our podcast, just to let you know, we are going to be going spoiler alert, just full spoilers in this season finale podcast. So uh, this is your cue. If you haven't watched the show, go watch it. Come back and listen to us. So uh, we're going to do this in three, two, one. Oh my God, what a crazy season finale. Um, We got to see Madeline Stowe, who played a huge role in this episode. Cole, hit the reset button. So does that mean that Cassie isn't pregnant? Oh, by the way, Cassie's pregnant. Oh, by the way, she's going to be giving birth to the witness at some point. How freaking nuts is that? All right, so I'm Pacing Pete, along with Lauren and Hank. We're going to be breaking this all down for you, including an exclusive interview with Dr. Cassandra Rayleigh herself, Amanda Scholl. So kick back, sit back. This is Splintering Back, a 12 Monkeys after show. talking about this crazy season finale this was just a just a nutty season finale so many things uh well i shouldn't say so many things some things got resolved uh we got to see some people back we got to see some people not stick around with us anymore which is pretty sad but uh before we jump into that let's just do some quick introductions uh like i said at the top i'm your host pacing pete alongside as always from the flash podcast from the marvel report and from comic book resources, Miss Lauren Galloway. What's up, Lauren? Hey, Pete. I'm great. Thanks. Um, and we have joining us as well uh, from the GWW, uh, Hank Hill. What's up, Hank? Hey, how's it going? Well, guys, um, how are you feeling? Let me just let me just ask you guys right off the bat, uh, Lauren. How are you feeling with the finale all wrapped up and? Uh, like I said, some things resolved, some things not. <laughs> some things not? <laughs> I, I feel like nothing was resolved in this finale. And and that's, uh, that's a testament to the strength of the finale, I think. Because if it had been wrapped up in a nice, neat little bow, maybe the show wouldn't have gotten renewed. Because the executives would have thought, oh, they've kind of finished telling this story. So I love that Terry and Travis and the whole creative team at 12 Monkeys just decided to throw the gauntlet in this finale and, like, split everybody up and drop this huge bomb about the witness. I thought it was incredible. Um, hey, how how are you thinking? Uh, what are you thinking about the season finale and, and how it's all kind of, uh, well, not exactly wrapped up? What well, just... Wow. Uh, exasperated. Just, uh, you know, heading off into unknown territory, you know, into the future, you know, and uh, man, they have no idea. It was funny. You know, they kind of showed the screen and the recon data that they have, population, etc. And under everything they had unknown. So it just was like, man, what is he going to? And then, you know, Cassie, she's in this uh, church like cultish kind of setup. So, you know, they still have some type of infrastructure. So it's just. It's, uh, man, just to keep the brain going. Yeah, there's there's so many layers to the show, and I think that's what makes it so uh, so well done and, and so intriguing and engaging. Um, it's not just a, a straight, narrow shot. There's so many things that go into it. Um, now, you know, we had so many reveals. We, we, we know who the witness is. 
kind of, at least we know where the witness comes from. Um, we got to see some more resolve at Titan. Uh, but let's uh, kick things off with um, a cameo that we've been waiting for all season. And of course, it wouldn't come till the season finale. Pretty fitting. And that was Madeline Stowe's character. And, you know, she played like a pretty big part in the opening, narrating uh, the opener. And then, you know, we meet her when Cole is kind of, you know, it's, let me just jump into this, you know, Cassie and Cole are living the whole domesticated life, you know, they don't, they're just kind of going freely, doing their own thing, and of course it's when everything's going well in life that suddenly things snowball, things happen out of nowhere, that make you rethink, uh, is this really, like, what's safe, what's going on? Um, and so what happens is we see Cole out and about, and there's moments where time freezes, and uh, it's kind of almost like X-Men-ish when, you know, uh, Professor X can freeze everybody with his mind. Although we're not sure who's doing this. Is it the witness that's freezing time? But what we do know is that Madeline Stowe's character is introduced in these moments telling Cole it's not over. And so this eventually leads to him in front of an asylum where he goes and finds her. And, you know, she kind of, she, she kind of comes off a bit primary-ish, um, a bit uh, just similar to Jennifer. Uh, Lauren, what did you think of, of her introduction and how she played a pretty big role in, the, in this beginning and, and, and actually how things played out throughout the whole episode? I thought she was a perfect addition to the finale. I feel like we've been waiting for her to come on the show for so long. And, you know, I had some theories that maybe she would be Cole's mother or Cassie's mother. But from what I, you know, from what I gathered... She doesn't necessarily, well, they didn't tell us who she's connected to, because, you know, 12 Monkeys is very much like the Marvel Universe, hashtag everyone is all connected. So I feel like there might be more to her character and her story down the road, but I love how she taught Cole how to splinter within himself. Like, that was a very quantum leap moment of Cole being able to jump, like, back into himself at any point in time that he's already visited. I thought that was really creative. Yeah, that was really cool. Also, a nice throwback to the first season, and and then other moments, pretty key moments that he had, that Cole had, uh, going on in these first couple seasons. Um, Hank, you know, Lauren was just talking about how you know Madeline Stowe's character. We don't even know her name. We just know she's connected in some way. She could be another primary, although we thought the primaries were found. Um, she could be tied in even more. Do you have any theories as to how she could potentially be tied into the group? Or even Colin Cassie. You know, I had a, a quick thought that um, maybe somehow she encapsulates time. I mean, we haven't seen anyone that I remember be able to kind of manipulate time in that way. So she's obviously, you know, very special and has some very special abilities. Um, and, you know, they've talked before in the past about time pushing back and time being more of a character itself. You know, it's not just a state or being, but. You know, time wants to, I think they said in one episode, time wanted the machine to be built. You know, time wants this to happen. So maybe somehow she has a connection with exactly what time wants. I don't know. You know, it sounds kind of kind of rad, kind of out there, but we're splintering, we're time traveling. You know, let's just throw <laughs> that right in there. You know, let me, uh, let me just kind of throw this out there to you guys. With the reveal of who the witness comes from, we still don't know if it's a he or she. 
Do you think that in some way she could be the be with it? She could be the witness herself. Um, there's a lot of you know a lot of her, what she's talking to Cole. She's mentioning cycles and cycles ending and cycles ending and beginning. Do you think that she could be the witness and just kind of leading Cole where he needs to go in order for her to continue whatever agenda she has? Lauren, what do you think? Wow, Pete, you just, like, totally blew my mind with that theory. I was not even thinking about that. But she could be, and knowing what we know about the witness now and who the witness is and where he or she comes from, it's possible that Madeline Stowe's character could... I mean, if she knows how... Like, she taught Cole how to, like, splinter throughout his own points in history maybe she could splinter throughout points in her history and if she is the witness then that would mean that she's seen cole's daughter right 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 and if she was conceived in that time that she could arguably splinter all the way back to that time i don't know that would be a really cool theory if that's who she turns out to be i mean i i think about that because of you know like you said like she taught cole how to splinter without the machine uh the witness is using his or his or her own technology to splinter through you know back and forth through time to do what they want to do you know if, if if the witness is as far ahead uh, as we think you know there is a possibility that the witness has achieved the level of knowledge that you know knows that no one had a title of it without the machine um hank what do you think of that yeah because i think uh the tall man uh, talking to Cassie, he he mentioned the, the uh, witness as someone who traveled outside of time, you know, and that kind of reminds me of what the woman who showed herself to Cole was able to do, kind of travel and move beyond the constraints of time. Time, uh, maybe maybe Cassie has twins. We you know we don't know. Maybe she's <laughs> a sister. She's the, the other half of the witness. You know, he oh, represents. I like that. I like that, Hank. He represents this red forest and this, you know, dark, and perhaps she is, she represents something else, you know, so I didn't, you know, who knows? It's all fun speculation. Yeah, it really is all, all fun speculation, and, and you know, just, you know, her character just kind of seemed to appear, you know, like, you, you go back to that 1959 scene, and Cassie and Cole are, like I said, they're all domesticated, they're, they're happy, you know, uh, Cassie shares the news that she's pregnant to Cole, you know, like I said, everything seemed fine, and then just when it seemed fine, time freezes. She appears out of nowhere, and up to this point, it's not like we've seen somebody just appear like that and disappear. Um, you know, so we, so you know, is it a figment of imagination? Someone that Cole saw in his mind that led him to the asylum and saw her, or could she actually be the witness and someone who is splintering? stopping time warning Cole that hey you're not this isn't over yet you know I'm not done with my plan and you have to splinter back uh, and you don't and by the way you don't need a machine to do it so a lot of things that I picked up on in this episode that just made me think you know what there's there's a lot more to this woman uh, than just uh, being just a primary um, you know and, and it's gonna be interesting to see what part she plays in season three and, and how far her character goes, if she is indeed the witness. Um, 
Now, getting to Cassie and Cole in the 1959, you know, living their life, um, Lauren, what did you think of, of, of them settling down and, and just having this really, like, tender moment? You know, I know all the casserole fans are still, you know, excited about what happened in the last episode, of them finally hooking up, and, and you know, everybody, everyone has been wanting the last two seasons. What did you think about them finally settling down, and Cassie especially, just saying, you know what, maybe this is it? I loved it. I thought it was very sweet and very romantic, and I have I've shipped that pairing forever. I mean, since the pilot, and I I love that they hooked up last week. I didn't like that they hooked up while everybody was dying. I thought that was a very strange juxtaposition. But in terms of this episode, it was so sweet to see them together and to see them in love and to see them really getting time to themselves because they've been in service of this mission for so long and they've both been so hardened and so war-torn that they actually got a break and got to have a very normal life. But, you know, of course that spun out of control pretty quickly once Cole learned that Cassie was pregnant and then, you know, the final reveal at the end. So, like, I'm glad they got to have that moment. I'm glad that the show made room for that relationship. And I hope season three is very... Um, like if anyone watches Once Upon a Time, like Snow White and Charming, like I will always find you like that intense, like, like, I don't want to see them get pulled apart emotionally anymore. Like, I don't want to see Cass say, oh, I'm not ready for this or both say I'm not ready for this. Like, I hope from here on out, they're like, that they are fully connected, fully committed, and that they're just separated by distance. And that, you know, season three, they're working to get back together. You know, um, following, you know, Madeline Stowe's introduction and, and Cassie and Cole being domesticated, you know, Cole realizes what he has to do, and he does, in fact, go back to 1957 to find the uh, the primary and stop Charlie before he kills her. Um, now, when this happens, the, we we have the paradox prevented. We are We, in fact, hit the reset button. So everything starts over. Uh, you know, following that, we see them splinter back uh, to 2044, where Jones is waiting for them. She's been waiting them for a year. You know, uh, she didn't just evaporate, as we did see that happen a couple episodes ago. I want to talk to you guys about the reset button here, because this is what kind of confuses me with the end of the episode. So, if that happened in 1957, I would assume that the two years following would have never happened. Uh, Hank, what do you think? Do you think that with that happening, Cassie would never be pregnant? Um, what, what is your theory on that? Because, or, or, or when the tall man is seeing her in, in 2163, I think that's the it was, is he just, is, is it something he's telling her is going to happen? Like, it's, it's, it's predestined, and it's not just because of what they shared in 1959. Right. I kind of felt like um, by them stopping the paradox, you know, the, the time ripple wasn't made. So, you know, they kind of canceled the storms out. That was the last one that they really, really needed to, to push the storms forward in the future. You know what I mean? So, But I don't think it really, you know, messed with what, what Cassie and, and Cole had going because they were kind of existing, you know, if, if time made any changes – they would know it. So there was a certain part of them that was still traveling, you know, beyond time as well. So I, I really don't think that, you know, from where they stood going forward, you know, they didn't know what was going on in the future. 
you know, ahead of them. All they knew was their point. The world didn't come to an end. And, you know, they're just going to try to ride it out and see where it goes. But I think they both kind of just felt like it was a reset button and we'll go from here and see what happens. And, you know, that, that was so what was so stunning to see her come say, I, I, I like Lauren said, you know, now you, you still got work to do. So it's just it's really mind boggling. Uh, Lauren, what do you think of that? Do you think that uh, do you agree with Hank or do you think that uh, we might be just alluding to getting pregnant eventually? Yeah, that was weird, because if she was pregnant, but then Cole undid those two years together, technically Cassie should not be pregnant when she gets to the future. But I think I mentioned this... I think I mentioned this before on the show about the parallels to Doctor Who, or maybe you and I were talking about this, I forget. But, you know, if anyone has seen Doctor Who, when Amy and Rory upon get married they spend their wedding night on the TARDIS and they conceive a child and because the child is conceived essentially in the like the time stream that there's something very incredible about that baby and she actually grows up to be a time lord like the doctor and so I think that's kind of the logic that they're playing with here is that technically that baby would have would have never been born but because Cassie and Cole are both time travelers there's something about like the baby can still exist like the way like a memory I mean it's called memory of tomorrow and I think that's why the episode is called memory of tomorrow because it's like it's like Cole can retain his memories of a of a future that he didn't live Cassie can retain the child from a future that she didn't live but that's just my logic that might not that might not actually make any sense, technically. <laughs> you know, she said something to him about the caterpillar, and he asked her, how did you know that? So th- there are a lot of signs that they're kind of transcending. You know, they're a little bit beyond the constraints of, of time and space, I think. No, you're right, because I think when they were in Titan, and they, just after they had saved everybody, um, the butterfly had come up, and, and the, the gift that Cole had good Cassie, and Cole's immediate reaction was, how do you, how do you remember that? How do you know that? Because his thinking is, if if I took back those last two years, there's no right. way you can know about that. So, like you said, maybe we are going beyond those time barriers and stretching out even further and adding another layer to this time travel show that we haven't even seen yet. So, um, but actually, let's let's talk real quick about Jones. You know, she was by herself for a year. Um, Lauren, what did you think of of, of seeing her back and? She looked so relieved to see them after, you know, fighting off uh, just countless people to make sure she stayed alive. And do you think, do you think she was pretty confident that everyone was coming back to just come back to normal as as normal as they could be? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is that like before the season aired, there was a web series called like A Year with Katerina Jones. I don't know if you guys watched that clip. I heard about it, but I haven't had a chance to watch it. Hank, did you get a chance to watch it? I did not, unfortunately. Okay, me either. So we all have homework to do in the off-season. But apparently, uh-huh. it's like her diary of when she was alone, and that's that's like the time that we get to see in this episode. You know, I love that Katerina wasn't really dead. I love that the time reset for her. She's just so... Like, she's so resilient. Like, except for that one episode where she was quoting Hamlet and was contemplating suicide. Um... She's so, so, so resilient, and I love that about her. I love that she was so confident 
that Cole would fulfill his mission and come back and that her family, you know, her time traveling family and the daughters, that they would actually make it to Titan. So it was cool to see her know that they would eventually come back for her and that she didn't give up hope, even though she could have. You know, talk about the daughters and, and Hannah and, and everybody who we saw meet their end, so to speak, in the last episode. You know, I still I think I'm still getting over that scene. That was just craziness. But, you know, going back real quick, Cole talked about uh, Titan, especially with Madeline Lewis's character, and she kept warning him there's only there, – there will be death. No, it's, it's coming. It, basically, it doesn't matter what you do. Titan brings death. That's the theme of Titan. And so when when Cole and Cassie go back, he knows he has to go save them somehow because he knows they're going to die. He knows there's no getting out of that, and they're able to save everyone. Um, Hank, what did you think of that, of, of Cole coming back and, and, and getting everyone to, not just everyone, but Jennifer, to rile up the daughters to save the day? Now, that's really uh, it's classic Cole. I think that's what we all love about him. He's a, he's a natural-born leader. You know, if you need someone to really motivate guys and get them moving, you know, he's your guy. So you knew when he came back and he knew what was happening, there was nothing that was going to stop him from getting into position to try to to try to try save everyone. And, I mean, I think one of the funny, one of the best scenes is Jennifer rallying the daughters. You know, she's breaking out the Lord of the Rings, my personal favorite, you know, speech, and Independence Day, and Little Braveheart, and you know, it's just, it's hilarious, and it still doesn't work, and at the end of the day, she just marches off, like, well, I'm going by myself, so, it's just classic Cole, classic, you know, Jennifer, and it just really encapsulated, I think, a lot of things that we love about the show. Yeah, that scene was, was really funny, um, I'm not gonna lie, I was waiting for the line from Pacific Rim, you know, tonight we're canceling <laughs> the apocalypse, I was waiting for yeah. that line, it didn't come, but it's, you know, something to think of, of next time, because that's just the way Jennifer is. She uses her, like she said, her wisdom comes from fortune cookies. But that's what's so great about her character. She's so, so innocent in that way. Lauren, what do you think about that whole scene and how that went down and, and just one of the funniest moments that Emily Hampshire's Jennifer Goings had in the show? I, I always get, like, the, the Titan episode, like, the moments kind of mixed <laughs> up because, like, they were dead and then they weren't dead and then they were in the woods and then they weren't in the woods and... <laughs> just totally throws me but yeah i love that that speech was incredible and so funny i feel like she's such a like she's the only person who would have pop culture references because she's a child of that decade like we are like she's very much like us in that sense because everyone else is from the future or you know their childhood was taken from them because of the plague so it's refreshing to see it's refreshing to like it's refreshing that the most relatable character in the entire show is jennifer goins i mean that's it's not something you would expect per se, but I feel like she really is the voice of the audience and the pop culture kind of uh, like references today, which I thought was really fun. Yeah. You can always count on Jennifer for the pop culture references. It's, it's really great. So, you know, following that, we have the team going to Titan. Everyone's going there to, to pretty much save Ramsey, Cole, Whitley and Hannah, Hannah and Deacon before they meet what we saw at their end at the previous episode. So, um, you know, this all happens. They're able to stop everybody. They're able to take some people down. We have uh, a few reunions, you know, Cole and Ramsey kind of getting their bromance back on a little bit to start off. Uh, but then Ramsey kind of goes a little crazy. He wants the witness. He needs the witness. He starts taking out 
this guy's followers. You, you say no, you don't know anything. Okay, I shoot you in the head. I stab you. Just going crazy on these guys. Um, Hank, what did you think of, of Ramsey's methods and then how he eventually went after, really quickly, Cassie because he was just so frustrated? I, I think that I um, love Ramsey, but he definitely has a bloodlust about him, and especially when anything with his son. It just, understandably so, but I don't think that really anything's off limits when it comes to getting him closer to his son. And that was perfectly shown the way he went out after Cassie right in front of Cole, you know, when he didn't get what he wanted, he went straight to her. So I, I just think that that's something that could rear its, its head and come in, which I think that's one of the things that could come in between he and Cole. That, that has been a theme running through the, uh, running through the season kind of. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, following that, then we have the uh, machine or the Titan, the entire entire Titan. I don't even know to, if it's a machine or a place or what, but it starts to fire up in the w same way that we see the machine in the facility start to fire up before somebody splinters. And it's there that Katarina realizes, you know, this hey, this is my this is all my my husband's technology. The witness is now using this entire thing to splinter. This is his own, like, portable splinter. It's kind of crazy. Um, but it's it's in that moment that they realize, hey, you know what? we got to get the heck out of here because this thing's going to splinter. Who knows where it's, it, it's going to splinter to? You know, we have a few things going on. Our characters all get separated, of course. You know, it, w it wouldn't be a cliffhanger without our characters going their own way, not under, you know, they're under their own control, so to speak. You know, so we have Ramsey who gets not exactly taken away, but helped by who we think is one of the 12 monkey followers. But it turns out it's one of the followers that takes uh, Ramsey over to Olivia. And it's from there that Olivia takes Ramsey to Sam. And it's going to be really inter interesting to see how that's handled because we haven't seen Sam in a while. Uh, and, and I mean, this is why Ramsey's here. He's here to not only kill the witness, but he needs his son back. He wants his son back. Yeah, that came as a surprise to me. I wasn't expecting that. When we first lost Sam, my my initial reaction was, oh, Sam splintered. Where did he splinter to? Then we saw someone take his hand. And so it was really great that we did get to see that resolution in this episode. You know, and then we see some, some other moments where it was kind of a little bit lighter in terms of one of our characters splintering to another time. And that was Jennifer. Uh, she got sucked into... Uh, France, and uh, I, I wrote it down, I can't even find it now, but I think it was World War One, World War One, France, and she just sticks out like, oh my god, just a sore thumb. Hank, what did you think of that moment, and, and how she handled it in a really funny way? Classic Jennifer, it was just, I mean, could someone more out of place be thrown into a situation? It was just, it was hilarious and frightening at the same time, um, I don't know what the French are going to do with her. You know, they're going to be amazed. Maybe they think she's a spy or so. But I also think it gives her a chance. I don't know. Is there a seed that she can plant that will bloom in the future that will help them somehow? You know, there's got to be a reason they sent her back there. So, you know, who knows what's going to come from that. But it's it's bound to be hilarious. What Can I chime in there, too? What's interesting about that is that in the original Told Monkeys movie, Bruce Willis ends up back in that same time period. You're right. Yep. 
after he meets Madeline Stowe for the first time, and then he's he gets taken back to the past because his splintering is kind of out of whack, and then right. he comes back. To her with the bullet wound the bullet is from world war one and she ran the ballistics and that's how she starts to believe that he's from the past so maybe they'll play up that movie connection in season three and maybe jennifer will get shot or have some kind of injury and when she ends up back in her current day like she'll be able to make a friend or an ally and she'll be able to prove that she's a time traveler because of the bullet the same way that bruce willis did ah that's a nice nod to the movie Okay, so we're going to press pause on the recap for just a second to get to the exclusive interview we were talking about. So um, I'm very, very excited to bring on a very special guest to our our first guest to the podcast. Um, She is Dr. Cassandra Rayleigh on 12 Monkeys. Please welcome Amanda Shaw. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited. We're very excited to have you on. I, probably just as excited as we are for season three. What was it like to to get that news that you guys were <laughs> coming back for a third season? Oh, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of everybody, but it felt like everybody was just as thrilled as I was. We were hearing that we were going to get some news, and we were hoping that we'd be able to get some news before we had this Paley Fest event where we screened the last two episodes of the season um, for some people in Los Angeles, and we were hoping we'd be able to share the excitement with them on that day two weeks ago. And so as the days were getting closer and closer to the event, we were getting more and more excited that we were hopefully going to get the phone call. And when we finally did, gosh, it was a real sigh of relief. I was really, really happy to hear that I'd be able to continue her story. Yeah, we're, we're really excited. I mean, you know, watching Cassie's transformation from season one to the end of season two. Can you actually talk about that and, and you know, just where we see her in the pilot episode to the end of this second season, how much fun was it to transform Cassie's character? It was a lot of fun, actually. I think that I sort of um, started the transformation in the first season just with her being more aware of the threats and that her tax to kind of approach each thing in kind of a sensible manner really wasn't making much of a dent and that she needed to be more physical and a little bit more brutal in her approach. And so by the end of the first season, Cassie was holding a gun, something that she had never done in her life, you know, until until that point, I mean, firing the gun at another human was absolutely against the grain of everything she she was. And then living in the apocalypse uh, in 2043 into 2044, for those eight months, it was a world unlike anything she had ever experienced. And as a very adaptive human being, she needed to learn how to protect herself. And that obviously meant being a more physically ruthless person. And so it was really interesting to kind of keep who she was underneath all that. You know, she's still, she's, everything she's doing is for the good of humanity. She's obviously still a very caring person, but then her approaches um, on top of that just become more vicious, I guess. And so it was, 
it was fun to be able to do that, and then it was really exciting to be able to hear people's response. And some people understood why <laughs> she was the way she was, and other people, I think, um, had to kind of try to figure out why suddenly Cassie is the one who's being a little bit more aggressive in certain situations. Yeah, she certainly at times took it, took the mission very seriously. Um, something, you know, it was just like you were talking about, just your character becoming more aggressive. And, you know, how much do you think Deacon played a part in that? Oh, I think he was incredibly instrumental in that. I think that they were partners in a lot of senses, Um and we learn late, later on in the season in, in two that he knew who she was. He had seen her. She just, I think, appreciated his partnership and his willingness to educate her on the life. She doesn't have anybody outside the facility. Jones doesn't really go outside of the facility to um, to sort of see the world outside of it because I think Jones would be a huge liability. Losing Jones would be the end of Project Splinter, really. So in order for Cassie to step outside of the facility, she needed to have an education, which is what Deacon provided. I think they also became allies in a lot of senses. She doesn't have any friends where they were. She didn't choose to go there. And she, she doesn't think she has a way back. So if she is going to survive and if she is going to do everything she can to make the world survive, she needed to she needed to pick up and adapt, which is what Deacon very readily and very kindly provided for her. <laughs> now let's uh, let's get into the season finale. You know. Um... A lot of things, there's a lot of things going on. This, the, the great thing I love about the show is that it's so multi-layered. And, there's, and not just the show, but, but each character. And in this episode, we finally got to see who the witness is, in a sense, or who the witness comes from. How do you think this is going to affect Cassie? Because she's now a mother. And not just a mother, but a mother of somebody who's been causing all this chaos for the last two seasons. Yeah, I'd say to to say that Cassie is shocked and horrified about this realization is probably like the understatement of the century. <laughs> um, I think she's perplexed, confused. I mean, there's probably also an element of whether she can believe them. How is this even possible? You know, everything that comes with the stages of denial <laughs> and... <laughs> And then, of course, there's also the question about nature versus nurture, and that's something that I brought up with Terry when we were first discussing who the witness was going to turn out to be. It's that, is this this individual destined to become the witness? Uh, Is there a way to stop that? Is, you know, that's something that's so fascinating with our show is, on top of all of the layers of mythology and an exciting storytelling that Terry and the writers have created, there is also a very real and and timely grapple with fate and if and destiny and are and are we destined to become something? Are we destined to 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 be? Is this individual destined to be the witness? And so, can we can she change that? Or does she just need to kind of 
succumb and do everything possible to keep it out of the out of the twelve out of the army's hands. I mean, there's so many possibilities going into season three. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it's very exciting. Now, you know, something that happened in this episode was uh, Cole hit the reset button, so to speak, when he was able to go back yeah. and stop the paradox. Now, something that kind of threw me off, and I don't know if you can, how much you can talk about it, but you know, I would assume that that would take away the uh, the two years that they gained together, and and what happened was, you know, you be, and Cassie becoming pregnant. Um, you know, and then they had the moment at Titan where Cassie's remembering the butterfly uh, present. Right. How do you, uh, I mean, I guess, how is it best to interpret all that, especially with going to 2163 and you being told that uh, you still are pregnant? Right. Well, I'm sure Terry would have his own scientific explanation <laughs> for the time travel uh possibilities of all of that and, you know, whether there's another existence that is happening simultaneously, you know, because we often speak um, when we're trying to explain and understand different timelines that time isn't linear, that it sort of moves and curves and bends and warps around different objects and things. And that's actually a, a scientific theory that the time does warp. But my my other explanation for that is basically what Lillian, played beautifully by Madeline Stowe, um, says in the facility to, to Cole. She calls him James Cole. She mm-hmm. says that time can be changed or erased, but love cannot. Mm-hmm. And so if love and, and their connection is, again, maybe so destined or so deeply rooted that nothing else can be changed and their past can't be changed. You know, I think that's, that's kind of a beautiful concept. I know that one of Terry's favorite movies is Back to the Future and about trying to make his his parents fall in love. And I think there's something very Back to the Future about that idea. So love transcends time, basically. That's, you know, all, my last five minutes of answer could have been very easily just summed up with what that. Yep, there you go. Not that I was trying to, to one-up you. I just That's just what I got from that, from your answer. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Mission accomplished. <laughs> now, um, you know, one of the fun things I've enjoyed about the season is a lot of the uh, pairings in certain episodes that I never, I guess I never would have thought they would have um, happened so so well, or written well, so well, and and. One of my favorite episodes was uh, the—I I don't remember the name of the the episode, but it was where Cassie and 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 Jennifer got to team up. Um, just such an unlikely pairing, but one of my favorite episodes. Can you talk about uh, the dynamic uh, of the two characters and 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 how much fun you had shooting that episode? Sure. Yeah. Um. That's episode number five from season two, and that's um, Bodies of Water. Okay. I think is the name of that episode. Um. Yeah, I I love Emily on a human level, and I am so impressed and constantly amazed by her work. And so, I was I was really excited to be able to do that episode. And fun fact that was um, that was directed by a female director, and so that was also really fun to have a female director for this very strong, you know, female kind of buddy storyline. And 
I think what was exciting about that was they were both, the roles switched. Em- Emily's character, Jennifer, suddenly needed to be the caregiver, and that was something I think she had always yearned to be and never had the opportunity. And we learn later over the course of the season that she's destined or that she does end up becoming a caregiver. She ends up becoming a, a mother to this to this troop of, of incredible women. And, and she had to mother and she had to take care of and she had to get them out of that situation alive and she did it. And she had never been tasked with doing anything like that before. And so that was really fascinating. It was also Cassie being completely vulnerable, and she's n- almost never completely vulnerable. Cassie, Cassie is very strong, and even if she's wilting inside, she puts on a front. And she had to show her vulnerability to this person that she had only ever existed at odds with. And so that was fun to play with also. But just on a, on my level, on an Amanda level, getting to work with Emily and just seeing her seeing her just so in her element with with Jennifer Goins, it just she inspires me every time I have an opportunity to share a screen with her. So that was a lot of fun. That's really good to hear because I mean, after watching that episode, I wanna see more Cassie and Jennifer team up episodes. Um, I'm not sure if it'll if if, if it were to happen to happen right away because of Jennifer's current predic- predicament where she's stuck in uh, uh, France in 1917, I believe it is. Um, but uh, but I like I said, I would love to see more episodes with you two because I just I love your guys' character dynamic and and how well you play off of each other. Um, now, how would you compare something like that to um, working with Kirk Acevedo, uh, Ramsey's character, and how? You guys were definitely at odds, uh, you know, Cassie and, and Ramsey, especially with what, you know, the with Witness using um, Cassie to get to come back to 2044 and then having Sam lost in the process. And then you guys coming together and you know, realizing you have to kill the Witness in order to stop everything. Uh, what was that like? Right. Well, it, I think I think what's interesting about those two dynamics is the two women showed their vulnerability and they had kind of a common um, kind of a common loss, a common hurt, which was the loss of their mother and it meant different things to each woman. And, you know, just also having kind of a female bond. With Ramsey, they have a common enemy. So it's a very different um, thing that unites the two of them. It's a very different bond. If if you even want to use the word bond, I think it's um, it's very begrudgingly uh, that the two of them pair up. And and I think if they had their druthers, they would probably not work together, but they realize that they're stronger together. I think, I think Cassie just despises herself and is so horrified with everything that happened regarding the witness, and she wants to do anything she can to make it up to Ramsey because of the loss of Sam. She wants to do anything she can to apologize, to make amends for it, and this is the one thing that she can do that will give him even an ounce of solace. And and at the same time, you know, it obviously satisfies this deep hatred that she has for the witness. So so that was interesting. So, you know, they're not so much burying their souls as they're as they're just kind of and hard and trudging ahead with this common 
common hatred and enemy. And they do have a moment of vulnerability with, with the keeper, but it's, I don't think that they spent the car ride afterwards chatting about it. You know, I don't think that they sat back and shared a glass of wine and, you know, painted their fingernails and discussed their feelings afterwards. I think it was just kind of a moment and they got on with it. No BFF moments, so right? <laughs> no, I don't think they share a lot of those. And even by the end, you know, the the last um, the last episode, Ramsey gets mad at Cassie again because he thinks that you know they she led them there to yeah. to no for no need, and so he gets angry all over again. And and actually, when we when we shot it, I think they cut out a little. It was a little bit of a shoving match when we um, when we did it. It was kind of spontaneously erupted. So, um, and I think they they kind of cut that part down a tiny bit. <laughs> now, um, one of the big things that happened uh, transpired actually in, in the second to last episode, and and started off in the season finale was uh, Cole and, and Cassie finally coming together. What was it like for you and Aaron to talk about that relationship finally coming to fruition? Something that fans have been just wanting to happen from maybe even from day one and and just uh just making casserole a real thing <laughs> thank you so much for mentioning the proper ship name the proper slash most ridiculous ship name ever <laughs> um <laughs> it was a lot of fun and it was also really nerve-wracking you know because of what you said because people have been wanting this and and whether they um, they got exactly what they wanted or not, I don't know because they got it, but at quite an expense. Uh, so, or a price, rather, I should say. I think that I think that it was it was nerve wracking because we wanted to do it justice, and I know that that Terry was really nervous about it. He was really nervous about the argument that um, that sort of initiated the. Uh, the finally the final unveiling and admission of their emotions and and he and Sean Tretta who wrote the episode spent a lot of time locked in a hotel room yelling at each other as Cassie and Cole sounding like the most bizarre couple ever for anyone who overheard that um, while they were writing it and um, and I think they came up with something that was very appropriate you know Cassie and Cole are not super mushy. And the one who's only ever really been very vulnerable and um, sort of worn his heart on his sleeve is, is Cole more so than Cassie. And and you even see that with their, when they finally do discuss it, she says, you're in love with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's still so kind of, kind of on guard that what if he doesn't return it, she can't be the first person to say it, you know, and... And I think it's because of a fear and it's because she's afraid that he'll reject her and that she'll be left alone again in this world again that she doesn't know anything about and knows really no one. And so that was a lot of fun. And we tried different levels of it when we were shooting that argument, trying it being more of an argument, being more done through tears. And I think um, we came up with a good balance. Yeah, you really did. And it, it, it was funny because I was watching – Twitter at the same time as the episode was playing, it was w- funny watching the reactions because Cole and Cassie coming together was juxtaposed with uh, the whole scene at Titan and everyone uh, yeah. getting killed. 
Um, what did you think of that final? Did you know that's how it was going to come out, uh, the final product? Yeah, yeah, I knew that from the very beginning that that's how it was going to be done, and I thought that was just, I mean, I can't say enough about the writers, and Terry in particular. I think they are freaking geniuses. And I think it, the juxtaposition of those two is so perfectly 12 Monkeys, first of all, but then also it wouldn't really be our show if it were just this romantic, lovey-dovey, <laughs> just sort of saccharine, like, pretty little love scene you know that's not what the show is and so to have the dichotomy with the death and the horror i think just made it so appropriate and um and it tells a much more interesting story about what all of that means and you know when terry came up with that decision they call it the red the red wedding and he told us about it we were all kind of you know collectively like oh <laughs> you know <laughs> We loved it. I mean, it's horrible, but we loved it. <laughs> now, was there ever any concern with um, any concern that the fans would get upset that Cole and Cassie, their relationship could take over? A lot of shows fall into a trap of focusing more on the relationship and, and, and getting away from the story. Was there any ever concern that that, that would happen? Yeah, I think actually we just did discuss that a little bit also on set, that we wanted to make sure that the relationship that um, you see fire by the last episode still stays very true to who the characters are. So it's not like, hey, Cassie, I'm home, you know, and like having suddenly them be so domestic and like long strolls on the beach, that's not who they are. And so it, I think actually a couple of little bits were sort of cut out um, some scenes were, were for the sake of time because there was just so much material that we shot for the last two episodes. But they're still very much who they are. They just happen to be now coexisting in the way that was maybe always intended. I don't know. And so we had to make sure that, and I think actually at that point, you know, Aaron and I had worked on these characters for so long, we understand who they are, even if they're in sort of this newfound domestic bliss type situation. And so, but of course, we always have people on set uh, just in case somehow we end up being just too romantic, but that was not the case. I think it was very much still their relationship. And I think one line that stood out in particular for me that was when Cole came home and he just had his first... Um, experience that sort of rocked him and she senses something and the line is don't bullshit me Cole mm -hmm. you know and it's done in a way that's that's still there how they talk to each other mm -hmm. they may now understand that they're in love but they're still very direct now going into season three what are what are you hoping for Cassie as far as you know um dealing with with now um knowing she bears the witness and also um will we see a reunion of Cassie and Cole I only know a few little things going forward um I wish I could spill all kinds of beans <laughs> but I don't have a whole lot of beans to spill. um <laughs> sorry that's okay if I could I <laughs> see what I want and what I want for the show are totally different things. If I were to say what I wanted for Cassie as a person, sort of as the 
as the custodian of Cassie, I want her to be happy. So I would want her to be able to live in 1959 and and have this beautiful relationship with this person that she obviously is so deeply in love with. But that's not necessarily interesting television. So I think that what is probably more likely the case will be a whole lot of um, a whole lot of not so happy scenarios going forward, and I think that's probably going going to be a more enjoyable thing to portray and for audiences to see than like Cassie pulling a, a roast out of the oven as Cole comes home from his job at the shop. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well. Um... I know you're a very busy person, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and let you go. But I want to thank you for taking the time to, to come on to our, our Splintering Back podcast um, and, and answer questions. And, and it was really a pleasure to talk to you about the character who I, I personally I really enjoy watching and, and I've enjoyed over the last two seasons. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Thank you very, very much. It's such a pleasure to bring this show and bring this character to life every single week for people and i really appreciate you enjoying it thank you all right so that was very cool to talk to amanda show about her character about 12 monkeys especially about this season finale so let's get right back into the season finale recap so let's just take a moment now we have we 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 have everything going down at titan we have people splintering to crazy crazy places we have the return of Olivia and, and bringing Ramsey back to his son, but it came at a bit of a cost, and that cost was one of our characters that we've really grown to love this season, and that was Deacon. Um, and, and I know we're in a time travel show, and and you know somehow things can can change. We can we've seen the reset button hit. We can see characters come back. I'd like to see him come back. I'd like to see, and I have a feeling that the, the way the show works, we could definitely see him again in some way. But, uh, Lord, what did you think about losing Deacon and how he went out? And, and it was it was very, I thought it was kind of redeeming of his character to save Jennifer after what had happened with 2044 Jennifer. What did you think about how that all went down? You know, I hate losing good actors on shows. But I appreciate when writers know how to say, "We've this is the end of this character's arc. Like, sometimes actors will stay on shows too long because, like, the creative teams don't want to lose that actor. And I totally understand that. But sometimes the character's story can be wrapped up really well. And I thought Deacon's story was wrapped up really well. I hope he comes back for season three because this is time travel. But at the same time, I feel like Todd Stack. Ashwick created such an amazing character, such a, like, you love to hate him, you hate to love him kind of a guy. You know, I feel like he really bonded with Cole and with Cassie and Ramsey and that he was a really integral part of this season. But at the same time, you know, it's always, you know, it's better to die among friends. And he was able to do that in such a heroic way. So it was sad to see him go, like, really, 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 really sad. And uh, I'm excited to see where Todd Stashwick ends up next. Uh, Hank, what are your thoughts on the loss of Deacon? Yeah, I feel like, um, really, you know, when you go through an operation like that, I mean, they had a lot of things against them. Yes, they had Cole, 
but it's almost expected that someone's going to, you know, you have to make that sacrifice on the, uh, the altar of heroism. And, you know, Deacon, I guess, was as likely as any. Uh, definitely came to like him a lot. I actually liked him a lot when he was a bad guy. He was just always kind of sarcastic and funny. But um, I think it would be funny maybe if we saw not the older Deacon. Maybe somehow they end up back in his time and they get younger Deacon. And they take him away from his use of dad because they always made a point of always, you know, calling him by his childhood name. And, you know, he talked a lot about the things that he went through with his dad and abuse and everything. So I just wonder if maybe that's a way they may bring Deacon back somehow. But yeah, yeah it was definitely heroic. And uh, obviously he understands now that Jennifer, you know, she's needed. She's an integral part of what's going on, you know, and it, it was nice to see that development in his character. Yeah, I, I, I especially loved his last line. He just said, sorry, sorry for cutting your face or, or, or sorry for basically apologizing to Jennifer. It was just right. just such a, a, a genuine thing he said, just very, uh, I thought from the heart. Uh, he knew this was it for his for him. Uh, and, and like I said, I thought it was it was redeeming of his character to do that and, and just, just be very selfless. But yeah, he's definitely going to be missed. Like you said, Hank... Uh, and Lauren, you guys mentioned time travel, and and there are ways to bring him back. Um, I would like to see uh, his past explored a little bit more, because like you said, they they definitely talk about it. There's a lot of hinting to it. There's a lot of him bringing up uh, his childhood, and and even when he talked to Cassie when they were having their moment a little while back, where you know she pretty much cut things off with him, um, that uh, you know he remembers watching her on the television when he was younger, and so it's. It's kind of interesting. It's interesting just to watch. Uh, it'll be interesting just to learn a little bit more about his character, even if he's not around. I mean, it does, doesn't hurt to add another layer to his character that has become very well-rounded. You know, and so you know, one of the last things we see, obviously, was Cassie get taken by the uh, followers, how whatever you want to call them, of the of of the witness. You know, and and now she's in twenty-one sixty-three. Um, Lauren, what do you think about this and how this sets up uh, season three? Obviously, Cole's going to go back looking for her. Um, he he wants to. He has to. He needs to. And what did you? What I mean? What are your thoughts going into season three and how this left us with such a huge and almost kind of creepy cliffhanger when they are chanting "mother." Super creepy. I mean, there there is no lack of kind of weird cult-like hero worship going on in this show. Um, you know, I, I, my initial reaction to this was, oh my God, they went so far into the future. I don't think I've ever seen a time travel show do that before. And I don't know if we've talked about it on this show or if it's just something I think about. But most time, it's so funny, like time travel is all about science fiction fiction and science fiction is meant to point towards the future but typically we use science fiction to look back at the past like most time travel shows are about someone developing this incredible technology and then using it to go backwards and like I kind of fall to that too because I'm a writer and I've written about I've written about time travel and I've written about the past but it's funny because I think if if someone did have the ability to time travel they would want to go to of the future and they would want to use that in a way that would give them an advantage or a way that helps their technology so it was great to see that 12 monkeys decided to do that like didn't just stay 
in what we know, like the 40s or the 70s or the 60s. But they actually said, you know what, let's go to this like super dystopian society where the 12 monkeys haven't just created a plague, but they've actually dominated the entire world with their cult and their their system of order or government or whatever they believe that it is. And, you know, it was a really big leap for them to do, but I'm excited to see how season three is going to play out. And I feel like it'll make or break the show. Like if they can do the future in a way that's believable and a way that's accessible, even though it is so strange and so foreign, I feel like they could really, really, really do a good job with it. I, I agree, you know, and, and, you know, traveling so far in the future, like I said, like you said, you know, it, it adds something that we don't see too often in television, and it's very ambitious, but, like you said, the show, just the way it's, it's, it's handled, the, the, the writing and the characters, I mean, it's, it's certainly conceivable to think they can pull it off. I'm excited to see how they do go about it. <clears throat> now, I, I ran a few polls on Twitter, because I was curious to see what the fandom thought about, um... Who the witness is, and obviously we, we know who the, we we now understand. Uh, we know who the witness is, and at least who the witness comes from. Um, you know, and and I you know put this poll out, like I said, and I gave a few options. I said Cole, Cassie, Sam, or I left the four, fourth option as as could it be somebody else? And and after the the polling went through, it looks like everybody at 47 percent voted somebody else. So nobody really knew, although one of our followers did answer back. Um, at Jades164 said, um, their guesses were Cole Jones or if Cole and Cassie conceive a child, that kid. So right on the ball with that one. Good guess. Um, we did have 22% at uh, Cole, uh, 17% with Cassie, and 14% with Sam. But obviously we know now who the witness is, so... Um, but it was kind of fun to play around and, and, and see how, how that all came to pass. Now, um, also, I, I ran a few other polls. I wanted to uh, ask you guys actually about this. And, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about ships on this show and, and just the different relationships. We saw a lot of different team-ups this season. We saw Jennifer and Cassie team up, which was probably one of the ones I never thought I, I thought we would see uh, just because they were so different. But when they came together the episode was written so well that I'm like, I, I want more, I want more Cassie and Jennifer team-ups because it, it's really fun to watch because their differences create such a dynamic that it becomes so engaging and entertaining. It drives the rest of the art going on in that episode. Um, Lauren, what would you say is your, are you, are you sticking with Casserole as your favorite ship? You know, I, I like so many like relationship dynamics on the show like I love Cole and Ramsey I like as brothers I love their brotherly relationship I think there's a sweetness between Cole and Jennifer that I really enjoy but yes Cassie and Cole are like my diehard 12 monkeys ship <laughs> uh, what about you Hank you know I really enjoyed uh, Ramsey and Cassie the times they were together when they started getting more motivated kind of go right after the witness it was just interesting to see the, you know, they're so different, but with this common goal and how Ramsey kind of rubs off on Cassie. And she's a little bit more of a badass when she's with him, I think. That's true. That's true. Um, I'd probably say that my favorite uh, duo um, was probably uh, Ramsey and Cole. I just love their brotherly love, their bromance, however you want to call it. Just so many little, uh, just little 
the dialogue between the two when they would just talk with each other or or Ramsey would say, "Oh, you're not going by yourself to Cole," and and they would have this these funny little moments of dialogue between the two. It just it, it just you felt the love and how these characters just so were close. You know, they could have their love hate, but most of the time it turns out that you know they're just they're just bromance to the fullest. So, uh, but after after you know tallying the votes, it looks like. Uh, 56% of the, the fans like Casserole. Not surprising at all, especially after last week's episode. And also, uh, the last poll I took, you know, I wanted to find out what people thought of the entire season, who you thought the MVP was. You know, uh, the great thing about this season was that all the actors in the show were given moments to shine uh, in one episode or another. And, you know, I... I centered it around Cole, Cassie, Ramsey, and Jennifer because obviously they're the they're the main ones. Um, Lauren, who'd be your MVP from this season? That's a really good question. I would have to say Katarina. Tied very closely with Cole. I feel like Cole really experienced a character transformation this season, and that he wasn't so rugged and so edgy, but more compassionate and more kind. I love how he did a complete 180 from his personality in the first season. But I think Katarina, she's just such a boss. Like, it's so refreshing to see a woman who is, like, the head scientist and has a plan and is, like, really intense and really devoted. I think that it's rare to see a woman like her on a science fiction show. She's very much like a Janeway, like a Captain Janeway of, you know, Oh, Starship Splinter. So I think uh, Katarina is probably my MVP. I like that name, Starship Splinter. Very, <laughs> I like that tie in. <laughs> Very good. Um, uh, Hank, well, who would be your MVP? I think I think Jennifer. I just think she played such a pivotal role. From you know, she wasn't the kind of weirdo. She really had good advice. You can really see her becoming the sage that she became in later years. And I think Jennifer and all her in all her roles, you know, the older Jennifer, the younger Jennifer, and, you know, she really got motivated this year and she made a difference. And, you know, I, you know, she pulled the, the daughters together and they've been a huge help. And, you know, she had Hannah here. Well, so I, I just think that she really touched everybody. And I just think a lot of the things that happened you know, without her that, you know, they wouldn't have had a success. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, to piggyback off that, I'm going to have to agree. That would be, she would be my MVP as well. I just, I loved the character transformation of Jennifer Goins. Emily Hampshire did a phenomenal job of, you know, in season one, she is just, we see her as a well-done character, but she's just kind of this person in the background who says things, who leads them certain ways. Her character really wasn't fully developed, and I feel like they really did a nice job of fully developing her character you saw a lot of mature moments out of her in this season, especially moments when she lost her uh, her hyenas, when her da- when the daughters would not listen to 2016 Jennifer after 2044 Jennifer told her to lead them. You know, just a lot of struggle within her. And then they would quickly pull her back, you know, like, you know, in this episode where she had her moments of, of quoting movies and it came off kind of funny, but that was her. You know, like I said earlier, her fortune, her, her, Reason came from fortune cookies, and and she was just so true to what she was saying because she believed him. And I think that's to me that's what made her character so um, 
so much fun to watch. And then, like you said earlier, Lauren, she was so relatable, and she drove so much of this story. And then her interaction with a lot of the characters that you wouldn't normally see take place, it was just very interesting and flowed very well, especially, like I talked about, uh, the Cassie and Jennifer episode, um, which is one of my favorite episodes and, and done really, really well. Um, but uh, we did get some votes, and it looks like uh, a lot of people like Jennifer's performance this season. So... Uh, but overall, this was just a fantastic season. Um, I I would say it was, and, and you know I loved season one. I would say it was even more superior to season one because of the stories they told, because of the splintering we got to see. We, the time period episodes were so much fun. Um, you know they hit the reset button without retconning every without retconning everything. You know there's still teases about Cassie being pregnant despite what happened. Um, we are in 2163 territory. We're, we're, we're going even further into the future. And there's going to be so much story going on in Season 3. I'm, I'm really excited to see what the writers have in store. I know they're already sitting in the writers' room now and, and starting to you know draw stuff up on the board and, 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 and start to put uh, storylines into place. Um, Lauren, why don't you give us your takeaway from this past season? So my takeaway, um, I didn't foresee so much of what happened. And I think that's a testament to really great sci-fi writing. When you can lay enough groundwork to kind of help people predict where something might go, and then to take that groundwork and completely blow it out of the water. Uh, I loved all the time periods that we visited this season. I loved all the guest actors who were on. You know, it was hard for me to watch Cassie and Cole take polar sides. I did not expect Cassie to become kind of like a mini deacon. I didn't foresee that at all. But I feel like it really paid off in the end when she and Cole got together. I did not in a million years expect the house of the witness to be Cassie and Cole's house. And for Cole to write those words, like, I was here and then to know that, like, the witness is going to grow up to be this really terrible person and that he or she grew up in that house. Like, I mean, there's just so many elements that are so layered and so crazy in this in this season that I really was not expecting. And I think just the whole overall arc, too, of season one being about the plague and then season two being about time. I think that was a really smart choice. And again, I have no idea what season three is going to look like, but I hope, I mean, the ultimate hope here, like the ultimate hope in season one was that they would stop the plague. And they kind of did that in in the the second episode back of the season. And I was like, wait a minute, where are we going? (laughs) If like, we've already saw plague, like how, like where can the show go next? And now, you know, then we were trying to save time, but I think season three is how do we save the witness? Which I love when you can take a villain and and make like I love when you can make the goal of a show or a movie or a story to actually save the villain from becoming the villain. Like there's something about like all human beings have the opportunity to make really good choices and really bad choices and that you can't just paint villains and heroes as these black and white kind of people. And I love the fact that there's going to come a time in Cassie and Cole's future when the witness is going to be raised by the 12, like raised by the monkeys. And, you know, here she's going to be indoctrinated with all of this, like really bad stuff. And yet if they can get a hold of their daughter or their son, they can actually like 
I love that saving the world is going to come down to saving one person, their child, who is the witness. Like, when you tell a story on this scale, it has to be personal, and you cannot get more personal than your son or your daughter. So I was totally blown away by this season. I thought it was incredible, and I'm really excited for season three. Uh, Hank, why don't you share your final thoughts? Yeah, I thought, uh, to me, the second season is always, seems like it's, it's the hardest um, to, to really follow up, you know, the initial, the newness, and, you know, where do you go from the play, kind of, kind of the way Lauren said. And I just think the, the writers prove this season that they are fearless. You know, I don't think there's anything they're not willing to try or tackle, and they're, you know, they're not worried about doing what's been done before. You know, it just the groundwork going from the first season and really, you know, the attention to the character detail. Because you can tell any story that you like, future, past, but, you know, giving us a reason to care about why these characters are going through, you know, these gut-wrenching situations, these decisions that they have to make. And, you know, they're trying to save the world. And, you know, that's an incredible weight to have on. You know, all of humanity is riding on what you do. And then you add into that. I think that's why Cassie and Cole tried for so long to stay away from each other, because it's just another thing that you have to lose. It's another thing that you have to worry about. And this season, we just saw that, you know, at the end of the day, you can't stop love. You know, more powerful and transcends time, I think. You know, and so now, as Lauren, you know, again, brought up, it's very personal on many different levels. You know, everyone loves each other. Cassie and and Cole, you know, they've built, you know, they they have these dreams about the things that they want to do and Obviously, a family is part of that. And, you know, yeah, the questions that the witness brings up with being their kid, you know, um, the sentiment, the sentimentality about the house and the way he wrote the same color in the same way the cold did, you know, um, and it it does come down to, you know, can a villain be redeemed? And everybody loves, you know, Star Wars. At the end of the day, Peter, he was redeemed by his son, Luke. You know, now we see the father trying to redeem the son. So it's a it's a great turn on, you know, a lot of uh, different tragedies that we, that we see throughout, you know, movie time and, and, and shows. I, I just think, like I said, the writers are fearless and waiting to see what they come up with 2163. You know, I don't think it's going to be a thing where the technology is so great because they are in this dystopian future. And, you know, you think a lot of the things are kind of scavenger and, and put together. So it'll be interesting to see how they tackle that, though. But I uh, can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, this has been a, a great season, like you said. Uh, just so, so good. I mean, like I've, like I've said earlier in, in past uh, podcasts, this really is the new Lost. And it, it's, it's, it's got us wrapped uh, around its, its finger. And it, it will have – I'm sure it has you guys like that too. So um, uh, just a heads up. Uh, if you – if you're listening to the show following the new uh, newest episode, uh, go to the gww.com tomorrow. I wrote an article on uh, 12 Monkeys, kind of sharing why I think people who aren't watching should be watching. So trying to get more and more fans over the show. I'm actually trying to reach the lost audience in that one. Um, but uh, it's. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, you can even read it if you're a fan. Um, I just I love this so, show so much and uh, just trying to throw my support you know we supported so much here on the podcast and and we can't wait for season three so um before we go we're gonna do our uh, usual sign-offs 
Um, Lauren, why don't you let everyone know where they can find you at? Well, as you guys know, this week is San Diego Comic-Con. For, so for anyone who is flying in for that, I will be at Comic-Con all five days. You guys can kind of track where I'm at on my Twitter handle, which is at Lauren Galloway. I will be covering a lot of press rooms and events for comic book resources, but I'll also be at the Sherlock party and the fandom party. And if anyone is in town Wednesday night, Game of Bloggers is a really fun meetup at the Dragon's Den. So if you guys are coming out to San Diego Comic-Con, please shoot me a tweet. Otherwise, you can find me online. Thank you, Lauren. And uh, Hank? I'm on Twitter at IllDaddy0207. Um, always posting fun stuff, interesting stuff on there. hope you guys like it. Uh, and I'm on the GWW.com. You can find me on there hanging out with a bunch of great people. Awesome. And you can find me at PacingPete on Twitter. You can find us. Uh, we do have a, a Twitter handle now. So at SplinterBackPod on Twitter. You can go find all our past podcasts. Um, you can find us, uh, you can find them also at thegww.com. Uh, we're going to make sure we get more uh, out into items. We're going to try and be as available as possible. So just go ahead and find the podcast and we'll hopefully catch you up on everything. If, if you're new to the show, please give us a listen. We're going to guide you through as much as we can. So um, we really hope you've enjoyed the podcast. We've been enjoying, uh, we've enjoyed doing them, uh, talking uh, just like you guys, uh, opening the conversation up. We really hope you enjoyed our interview with Amanda Scholl. We thank you, thank her again for coming on and talking with us. Um, well, this is this is it. Uh, if we if we do some podcasts, we'll be sure to let you guys know. Just follow our Twitter feed, and uh, if we do anything in between now and, and season three. We'll be sure to announce it on Twitter. So, until next time, have a good evening. This has been a production of the GWW Radio Network. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, check out Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for all the latest news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, movies, TV, cosplay, and more. Geeks Assemble!